Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. But if y'all waiting on me to apologize, hell gonna uh, freeze. Wait. <laughs> Welcome everybody to the Points in the Paint Podcast Stadium's number one NBA podcast. I'm Ben Wittenstein. It's Zach Badger House. Now you know <laughs> you said Stadium's number one NBA podcast or <laughs> Stadium's number one and only <laughs> NBA podcast. <laughs> Listen, sometimes you have to milk the advertisement a little bit. You got to say we're the number one podcast. We may be the only pod- NBA podcast from Stadium, but Zach, we are also the number one NBA podcast. <laughs> By default, we are definitely number one. <laughs> you can find us anywhere you find podcasts. Um, yeah, give us, listen, give us a rating, leave a comment. Uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you uh, get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. We've gotten great feedback on on Twitter and everything like that. So it's fun interacting. And what did we just get, Zach? We got a a new social media page. We're coming into the 21st century, finally. Oh, I I wouldn't say it like that. But, you know, listeners, you know, subscribers, points painters, you got to listen up, listen carefully. If you want to have an opportunity to chime in and be a part of the Points in the Paint podcast now more than ever. We know you've probably subscribed, you've reviewed, you've rated us, you've left comments, but now you have an opportunity to do something even further. We have created our very own Points in the Paint podcast Facebook page, and now you'll be able to chime in and get tips on betting and be able to give us your hottest NBA takes Throughout the course of the NBA season, it's official. It's up today. It's very, it's fairly simple. Points in the Paint podcast. Just type that out on your Facebook, and you'll be able to locate us and click that page to follow us, and we'll go from there. Yeah, we're, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to be the one who's going to be running that mostly if you're going to be posting betting tips because I think every time I give betting tips, it just loses. <laughs> so I, I think at this point, it's just bad luck for me to give anyone betting tips, keep it to myself, and, and they'll win. But if I give them out, they're going to lose. That's just how it works. <laughs> Hey, I don't. Hey, I don't win too often as well. So you can fade me sometimes. You can even fade Ben. So whatever works for you, it's all right. You know, we'll just post our picks, and every one of our picks, you just fade them. That, I think that's that's <laughs> that's going to be the rule for the Facebook page: is fade all of the picks we give on the page. Um, yeah, so it'll be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to stuff we post on Facebook. You know, the new up and coming social media site. So hopefully, people can uh, get on there and follow our page, and we'll see where that goes. But Zach, let's get into some stuff with the uh, story of the week. A top story tonight. And the story of the week this week is the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, man. Who else but the Brooklyn Nets? Because, Zach, they are, they're killing it. 
they're playing really, really well. They won six in a row. They went on a West Coast trip. They're 5-0 and on that West Coast trip. They're 4-0 and without Kevin Durant, who's been out. I don't know what else to say about the Nets. I think, you know, I, I was going to ask, should we take the Nets more seriously? But I, I really think they just answered that question for us. They are a serious contender now, and they've shown that. Yeah, you know, it always takes, you know, some room to grow, chemistry to build, you know, that sort of thing. But to point out the Brooklyn Nets, you know, current winning streak right now with six games, four of those games have been out the prolific score, you know, number 30, number, no, not 35, but number seven, you know, free seven, Kevin Durant. He's played exceptionally well, but up until, you know, they go out West on that West Coast trip. They go out there without him. They go out and beat the Clippers. They go out and beat the Lakers. Two teams at the top of the West, and they go out there and take care of business along with beating the Sacramento Kings and the Phoenix Suns without their prolific star, the Brooklyn Nets, Kevin Durant. And you love to see it if you're a Brooklyn Nets fan. And listen, we can talk about that Kawhi Leonard play from Sunday night <laughs> in the push-off on James Harden. Which, that was bad. No, that was bad. You know, that's Maybe a flop. I'm glad yeah. you said that. That's, That's a flop. A, you know, it's a bit of a flop. And and I know we're not the number one James Harden fan podcast <laughs> over here. We we love to make fun of him. But listen, the man loves to flop. He loves to sell everything that he does in terms of fouls. He loves to sell it when he's trying to get a foul on offense. And he loves to sell it on defense, too. And he sold it really well. Should that have been a foul? No, I, I don't think that should no have call. been a foul. It should have been a no call. It should have been a no call. That late in the game, you got to swallow your whistle. You don't have to blow your whistle every single time. There's contact on a drive, but they blew the whistle. Kawhi got called for the charge, and that was that. That was all she wrote, and and, and the Nets won that game against against the Clippers, who, again, they were down. They were down double digits, and they came back. They worked their way back. They had a chance to tie it up, and they just didn't do it, and the Nets came away with the win. So I'm really interested to see, Zach, if they are able to continue this when KD comes back, is this the same team when he comes back? Is it a better team when he comes back? Because there's a possibility that you start throwing him in the mix when the team's doing well and everything goes awry. I want to touch base a little bit on that call with James Harden and Kawhi Leonard. So with James and Kawhi, Kawhi goes to the basket. It's a little shove with James Harden, but there's also a little shove with Kawhi, too, as he gets to the rim. It should have been a no-call, but it was an offensive foul on Kawhi Leonard. Now, this is what my immediate thought process was, being the moment that play happened. This is what I thought. You tell me what you think of this rule. The last two minutes of an NBA game, <laughs> the last two minutes. If the game is within five points in the last two minutes of an NBA game, it should be no fouls. No fouls called. Absolutely none. The last two minutes of a game with it's, when it's within five points or fewer, there should be just straight, straight up, up and down basketball. The last two minutes of the game, no fouls, no nothing. I want to see who wins this game, who has the more competitive edge, who has the, the eager and the urge to really go out there and win a game down the stretch within five points with two minutes left. Who wants to win? No refs. Involved, no whistles. Just now, I want to see who wins the game. What do you so, think of that? Wait, so are you saying it should be a rule that there should be no whistles no in the last whistle. two minutes? The it last should be a rule. two minutes with the, the referees the five, walk off the court. The, I don't even know if they should walk off the court, but unless someone travels or double dribbles or carry or there's a three seconds, you know, those type of rules, cool. But 
No foul within a, no foul should be called the last two minutes within five points of an NBA game. I don't care what anyone says. It better be a drastic foul. But right. the foul call we just saw with offensive foul with offensive foul with James Harden and Kawhi Leonard, that's absurd within the last two minutes of an NBA game within five points. I didn't like it. I- uh, no, I agree. I agree. And I, th- I mean, you're that's a hot take. I think that's a really <laughs> hot take. No fouls in the last two minutes if it's within five. And I love, I love it because I think that should be, that should be kind of the way that the officials go about it. Now, zero calls, probably not. Should they call like calls where they think maybe you know it could go either way? Yeah, swallow the whistle. You don't, you don't have to become part of the story at that point. And I, I never understood referees. And officials who who really just want to blow their whistle with any contact late in the game, you know, just let them play, let it go out. Unless it's really egregious, let it go. You know, th- these guys they, they can handle a little bumping, they could handle a little physical contact down low. You don't need to call a foul for every little touch that happens down low, especially in the last two minutes. Because Zach, what we've seen too is we've seen reviews take over games, and we've seen whistles take over games, and in the last two minutes become the last 20 minutes of a basketball a, game, and it's impossible to watch. We got a buzzer beater from Terry Rozier over the weekend because Draymond Green was upset yep. about a call and received his second technical foul, which put the Golden State Warriors in a situation where they lost on a buzzer beater play because Draymond Green didn't agree with the refs. Now, granted, when you're a guy like Dede, Draymond Green, and you have a history of being into it with the referees, that's something you just can't do down the stretch of that game to put your team in that situation. So there are some instances where the refs can and cannot, you know, get involved in the game to put a team at an advantage or disadvantage. But at the same time, I will give that credit to Rozier that he was knocking down shots throughout that little stretch of that game anyway. So those refs... Didn't really, I wouldn't necessarily blame the refs for that game with that technical foul between the Warriors and the Hornets. But that, like I said, there's something that has to be done with the last two minutes with the refs and calling fouls because they keep it too tight and they, they blow calls sometimes. Like they're 100%. not perfect. Yeah, 100% agree. Because, too, the other thing is, is when they make a call like that, when they make a charge call or they make a, a foul call that – you know, you could have swallowed your whistle for and no one really would have been upset, but they make a foul call and then suddenly they have to take a look at it. They have to somebody if it's someone challenges it, a coach challenges it or they mm-hmm. or they think they maybe got it wrong. You avoid all of that stoppage time if you just swallow your whistle. You just let it go. You, you let them play. You let the game's movement continue. I mean, you, you let the flow go. And, and I think that's what more NBA officials need to do. And we've seen. NBA officials in the past really try to take over a game with their whistle and think they're trying to control it more than they really are. And it just sucks to watch. It's just annoying. And it makes the end of games that could be extremely fun with teams going back and forth. It just kills the whole flow. Yeah. And like you said, like Kawhi Leonard with the offensive foul, he, I think he even made the layup. So you yeah. can, so, so he made the layup. Now we got to, we got another timeout Brooklyn Nets go to the go to the huddle and we see what happens next like or we go to OT or whatever the scenario may be but having the whole game they've played so well up and down you know they're fighting clawing back and forth it's it's a knockout fight you know they're trying to win the game you know the Clippers are they're trying to beat this team without Kevin Durant and they're and the Brooklyn Nets are trying to win another game without Kevin Durant. So you have that whole situation. You have that whole scenario. And so when that does take place, when that does transpire, 
you got to look at yourself as a referee and say, okay, these guys are superstars. We just need to have a level playing field and just let these guys play ball until the whistle blows, until the whistle's over. 100%. Absolutely. And if we want to focus on the Nets for a second, Zach, the one thing I did want to mention about them was surprisingly, and surprisingly to me, and I think it's a surprise to a lot of different people who expected the Nets to be to be bad on defense, plainly, just to be a bad defensive team, they have surprisingly gotten a little better defensively. And we saw them have games when they started with their big three that we have now where they were giving up, you know, 120, 125. 40. Little, no, sometimes 100, no, no. Yeah. 140 by 150. <laughs> Listen, I was trying to be a little bit nicer to them, but yes. Their defense was non-existent. Now, they give up 108 to the Clippers. They gave up 98 to the Lakers, 94 to the Pacers, 117 to the Warriors. They're, they're starting to keep teams under 120 points which to them is a huge improvement than where they started. Remember when I said it, I said it, and I want you to remember that I said it. What did I say, Ben? I said with the with the Brooklyn Nets, I needed one thing. I was never going to take them serious as true title contenders unless the Brooklyn Nets were to hold a team under 100 points. So not 120. I was a little harder. I was a little harder on them. You have to be able to hold a team in the NBA not on a consistent basis, but at least night in, night out, sometimes be able to hold a team defensively under 100 points. And they begin to do that with the team you mentioned, the Indiana Pacers. When I saw that game and they were able to do that and actually win that game comfortably, too, on top of uh, the Indiana Pacers being held under 100 points, that's when I said, okay, now they got something going. They got a groove going. And like you said, they held the Lakers under 100 points. So just keeping teams under 100 points defensively and having that offensive juggernaut they have with Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant, the Brooklyn Nets can be unstoppable if they lock in defensively. And the most important player on the team, despite those big three that I mentioned, is DeAndre Jordan. I don't care what anyone says. He's the most important piece on that team because of defense. So how how are you feeling about the uh, the Nets right now? Are are you uh, on a scale of Kyrie to to Steve Nash? <laughs> are you feeling like if you're feeling more Kyrie, it's more of a conspiracy at this point. The Nets really aren't contenders. It's uh, it, it looks more than they actually are at this point. Or are you more on the Steve Nash side of things, where you know you're, you're believing in him? You're, you're you're thinking that this is a team that can really make a push for a Finals berth uh, come the summer. Well, come come the summer, you know, honestly, I would have to be on the Steve Nash approach as opposed to the conspiracy <laughs> with Kyrie. But I only say that because they got an alpha dog. You know, okay. Kyrie and James Harden, for me, are the beta man in this situation with the big three. And KD has to be the alpha dog. So as long as KD can come out and be the alpha dog, and you got a guy like James Harden who has, who's literally kind of sacrificing his scoring, which we all know he's been a prolific scorer in this league, that led the league in scoring, you know, and been a top league scorer in this league over the course of the last five years. So for James Harden to sacrifice his scoring, to up his playmaking ability for the rest of the guys. And then Kyrie only has to worry about putting the ball in a basket and getting defensive stops. Man, that's a team brewing to reach the Eastern Conference Finals and also make the NBA championship as well. Yeah, and we could talk about also how bad the East really is right now. They only have three, I think they only have four teams that are above 500. So the, the East is wide open for the Nets to be able to do anything they really want in there and 
they're really only competition in the East is, you know, the box you know, or, or the 76ers. And the 76ers for me, Ben, is the true team that can really give the uh, Brooklyn Nets a true run for their money. And, and when I say that, it's all because of my main man's Joel Embiid. All right. Now, we talked about MVP candidate. And we talked about Joel last week. And then he goes out last week. Within that same week, we dropped the podcast. Joel goes out and gets the 50 ball, which we'll get to later on in the pod. And so he's playing at an elite level. You just need Ben Simmons to continue to play at a good level, not elite level, but at a decent good level offensively. Just apply pressure offensively if you're not going to score the basketball in terms of shooting. Just apply pressure with attacking the rim and getting other shooters involved, like the Seth Currys, the Danny Greens, the Tyrese Maxis. If they just continue to buy in defensively, the Philadelphia 76ers, those two teams could end up meeting in the Eastern Conference Finals. Ah, that would be so fun. And we come out last week saying Embiid is our top MVP candidate. He goes ahead then and scores 50 points. I don't know any better proof out there that Joel Embiid <laughs> listens to the Points of the Paint podcast. Hey, I think you I think you're absolutely right. You know, Joel had to tune in to the points in the paint. He yes. heard us talking that good vibes, especially me. I had to call him out too last week because last year he said he's rooting for that number one seed in the East in MVP. And you know who got those in his same conference? Giannis. <laughs> he got MVP and number one seed. And so now you have this year, you got Joel Embiid with a new coach, new direction. They're a number one seed in the East. And he's playing top-notch basketball, averaging 30 with a double-double, coming off the 50. The so 50. You're, you're, taking, you're taking the Shaq approach here where you're, you're taking responsibility for Embiid's good play because of how you criticized him in the past and he heard Please. it and he wanted to get better. <laughs> so you're the Shaq here? You got to criticize. Hey, I tell you what, I, feel, I felt the same way with Rudy Gobert when he scored that 2020 game last month, too. Because I was calling Rudy Gobert out to be better, do better for that $200 million he received. And he goes out and get a 2020 game and then look at And then what do you know? The Utah Jazz are the number one seed. So I'll gladly take credit for Rudy Gobert's performance and his play and Joel Embiid's 30 points a game, double-double, number one in seed in the East. I'll take that credit for sure without a problem, Ben. Zach Badgerhouse is the miracle worker <laughs> in the NBA. <laughs> All right, Zach, let's try to make some money here. Betting corner time. Um, let's take a look. Best team against the spread continues to be for the third four fourth week in a row. row. Yeah. <laughs> Utah Jazz, 22 and 8 against the spread. And they are they're dominating. They're, that's the only word is they are dominating. They are just winning and winning and winning. It's so crazy because it's like you gotta be stubborn at this point to not listen to the Points in the Pain podcast and not follow the Utah Jazz because listen. Get on the train. It's going to boom. If you're a better, you better listen carefully. Good teams win. <laughs> Great teams cover. And check this out. Ain't no other team in the NBA that are covering like the Utah Jazz. The Utah Jazz are playing exceptionally well, shooting the ball, spraying the ball, sharing the sugar. Donovan Mitchell. I don't know how Donovan Mitchell isn't an MVP candidate, maybe because they're playing collectively as a team. And so that's not necessarily really a guy who necessarily stands out. 
for the Utah Jazz. I mean, like you said, you got Jordan Clarkson, we've mentioned before on this podcast, coming off the bench, shooting career numbers from the three, knocking the three ball down. They just had a great month in January where they shot career numbers and shot and made the most threes they've ever made in franchise history to Utah Jazz. So bet your money, put your money where your mouth is with the Utah Jazz currently 22-8 against the spread. Yeah, it would be it would be first of all really ridiculous to bet against the Jazz. <laughs> and I did it myself because I, I thought, okay, they gotta run out of they gotta run out of momentum eventually. They're Dude, still hot. Yeah, no, they're they're still going. And then if we're talking about a hot team, we just talked about them, Brooklyn Nets, six against the spread wins in a row for the Nets. They're coming out hot. They're starting to be one of the better's uh, favorite type of teams. And, and and honestly, Zach, they have been extremely undervalued in the market. Recently, they have won a couple of games where they have just been the straight underdog. Yeah, I saw one of those games. I believe they were underdogs to either the Sacramento Kings or the or or the Phoenix Suns. One of the other one of those games during their road trip. And I said, hold on. And I think it was like a plus two and a half. It was something small. It wasn't nothing too crazy. But when I saw it, I said, hold on. Wait a second. I know they don't have Kevin Durant. But I still think they can possibly win this game with James Harden running the show. And what did they do? They not only uh, come back from being down like 20 points against the Phoenix Suns, but they go out and win the game. And James Harden has like one of the best games he's had as a Brooklyn Net. It's why they were, yeah, six and a half point under. Like it's, how how do they six and a half point underdogs in that game? Now, they play the Kings on Tuesday, the day this podcast comes out. I think they're going to be six or seven point favorites. Now, the interesting thing about the Nets too is when they're favorites against the spread, they are suboptimal, eight and 14 uh, against the spread when they are the underdogs. So, Hmm. or excuse me, when they are the favorites. So maybe, I don't think the market is going to continue to undervalue them as much now that we've seen that they can beat a team when they're six, seven point underdogs and they can beat teams without Kevin Durant when they only have Harden and Kyrie. But Man, they've been hot. Six against the spread wins in a row. They've got a pretty favorable schedule coming up uh, as well. So they're going to be favored for the next few games, too. This other team, though, man, they're about as look, they're colder. They're colder than than Ice Trey Young shooting the ball from the logo. Yeah, they're bad. (laughs) They are bad. And they're, they're, what, they lost 12 against the spread in a row? What team is this? That's Cleveland Cavaliers. Mm, mm. Stinky Cleveland Cavaliers. 10 and 21 against the spread this season. Like you said, 12 against the spread losses in a row. They've been in a free fall. They're gunning for that top pick in next next year's draft, Zach, I think is the goal there. Hey, is Joakim Noah on a roster? Because if he's not, I'm pretty confident he's betting against the Cleveland Cavaliers every night. He's probably making some big money, Joakim Noah. <laughs> he seems like someone who would be in the NBA sports gambling. I could definitely see that. Putting putting five hundred thousand dollar bets down every night, <laughs> and betting against the Cavaliers, I think would be great for him. Too. Listen, you know he don't like you know you don't like he don't like Cleveland, so he's probably no. betting against Cleveland every chance he gets, especially he's, against he's, the spread. Honestly, probably making more money than he did as a player, just fading the Cavaliers <laughs> all season. Uh, the best over team, we've got a new over team, Zach. The we Denver do. Pelicans. Yeah, they've been dethroned in favor of the New Orleans Pelicans. They are twenty-two and eight with the over. So they, out of their thirty games, twenty-two of them have gone over. I would like to credit that to the uh, lack of defense from the um, New Orleans <laughs> Pelicans. Yeah, because if you watch the New Orleans Pelicans, 
and you watch Zion, and you watch the rest of that team. Granted, you know, lately, they've really missed Steven Adams. He's been out of the lineup lately, and so they really miss him, especially in their last outing against the Boston Celtics. Oh, my goodness. When I tell you, Ben, they need some rim protection, it's not even funny. Like, and I don't understand SVG. I like Stan Van Gunning. He's a defensive-oriented coach, defensive-minded. But this is what I don't understand with SVG. How do you play the Herm Gomez dude or whatever? He's hardly even 6'10", but you won't play the unicorn. You know the guy I like, Jackson Hayes. How do you not play him? He's going to protect the rim. He's going to run. He's going to run the floor, get dunks, rebound, block shots. I just feel like Jackson Hayes doesn't get enough minutes. And so the defense won't really be there around the rim. And so, you know, opponents just get layup after layup after layup. And that just leads to the over in the, between those outings with the Pelicans. I'm a big Jackson Hayes fan, too. So I, I agree. I don't know why they haven't been going to him more. And we've seen point guard Zion now. I mean, they've they've been increasing their points as well because point guard Zion has been working pretty well for them. He's shown that he can be a pretty good ball handler in their offense and the way that they scheme. So they are scoring more and they're giving up more. So that's probably the big reason why they are the best over team in the NBA. Now, the best under team is still the New York Knicks, which is understandable. <laughs> Tom Thibodeau's teams are usually going to slam those unders consistently because of how good they are on defense and just it's not even that how good they are in defense Zach the Knicks are god awful at scoring and <laughs> they're a little bit better now because Derrick Rose is on the team and he's he's opened up a little bit of avenues for them to score a bit more but before they had Derrick Rose oh my god it was disgusting watching them play offense it was yeah, sad almost yeah, it's, couldn't it's do anything bad. Yeah, they did. They definitely couldn't do much. It was bad. You got Julius Randle. I mean, they were trying. I give them that. You know, so the New York Knicks, they were trying to get some offense going, but they definitely were more predicated towards the defensive side of the ball. You got Emmanuel Quigley, the rookie. And they just they just trying to they're just trying to grow. The New York Knicks, you know, they didn't run well, how many games they didn't won? About four out of the last five or something like that. So yeah, they won four of the last five. And they're yeah. scoring in the in the upper hundreds, in the hundred tens, hundred twenties for a couple games. I mean, that's uh -huh. huge. You know, Julius Randle dropped 40 last week. You know, that was dope for him to do that. You know, that was very good to see to get the confidence level with them. You know, year seven with Julius Randle, and he's becoming among one of the best uh, all-stars in the league, because he definitely will be an all-star. Start. I'm booking it. I'm booking it right here on the Points in the Paint podcast. Julius Randle will definitely be selected by the coaches among the league for an all-star. He will definitely be an all-star for the New York Knicks. So I got to give kudos to that and for him, Emmanuel, quickly. They got to get some more minutes and work with uh, Obi Toppin a little more. The veteran leadership, obviously, from Rose coming in. Hey, if you're a New York Knicks fan, you out there in New York, you're probably feeling real good right now. Then you got to cross the bridge, the Brooklyn Nets. Might be a good day in New York on a Monday. <laughs> <laughs> it's Listen, they're improving. That's all you need. You need the Knicks to show some improvement, and they have shown that they're headed in the right direction. And for a Knicks fan, that's all you can ask for. <laughs> you just want them to be pointed true north. The, the ship is the ship no, has been righted. No stagnant. No nope. stag. <laughs> They're getting better. That's all you need. All right, let's go to our interview. We had ESPN 1000's Chris Black on to talk everything NBA, um, and also a little bit of Zach Levine too. He's got some strong opinions on him. So Zach, let's uh, let's go to our interview with the ESPN 1000's Chris Black. 
All right, we want to welcome in the guests for this week's pod. He's a host and producer on ESPN 1000 in Chicago, and he also hosts the weekday show Black and Abdallah on ESPN 1000. It's Chris Black. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Ben, Zach, what's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. Not too much, not too much. Uh, so there's so many places we can start with the NBA, but a good place to start, I think, would be with the Chicago Bulls. Um, and I know you talked about before we started recording about all the callers that you've talked to about Zach Levine and having some fun Twitter conversations about him over the weekend uh, because he is playing really well. This is, you know, some of the best basketball we've seen him play his whole career. So I guess what I want from you is two things. Uh, I want to know what your takeaway about his play has been this season and where do you see his fit with the bulls going forward in the next couple of years? Well, right. It's a complicated um, question because he is a, a superbly talented uh, offensive player for the Chicago bulls. And, and I don't think anyone will take away that his offensive skill set, his ability to dribble penetrate, his ability to step back from three to hit a three point shot with a guard up in his face from almost any spot um, before you get to the logo. You know, it's something that we've seen from guards like Lillard, like Stephen Curry, like Trey Young, that Zach Levine has added that to his game. And then you obviously talk about the explosiveness around the rim. He really is one of the elite offensive talents in all of uh, the NBA. And so like the large scale picture with Zach Levine is, you know, Ben, you mentioned it. He's having a fantastic season, 29.9 points per game, six in the NBA coming into tonight. And he's having another nice night tonight, uh, Bulls and Rockets. And and I feel like some of what the discourse and conversation about Zach Levine gets lost in translation because he he's a player who's so superbly talented offensively that people ignore that there are two ends of the floor when it comes to playing winning basketball. I think that's the context that I always bring it back to is that he's been a really nice player for the Bulls, but the Bulls also have never been above 500 with Zach Levine on the team. Now, hopefully they're trending that way and hopefully they will get to that point. But unfortunately, he really hasn't been in a lot of big spots where games matter, where the moments matter, where he has to perform and he's, he hasn't had the opportunity to show us that he's more than a guy who's filling up the stat sheet for a team that's lower in the rankings, lower in the standings. And so, like, that also goes into this whole conversation of what do I think Zach Levine is for the future of the team? Because he's under contract this year, about $19 million, and next year, 19 as well. I think it's 19.5. And then he's a free agent. And so you guys know as, as well as I do, when we get to this point in a contract for an individual, especially someone who is a budding superstar, they're going to want a new deal. And for someone like Zach Levine, who's sixth in the league in scoring and he's improving, his shooting percentages are so much better than what they were a couple of years ago, he's going to want max money. I mean, that that's what's coming down the pipeline from a year and a half from now when he becomes a free agent. So the Bulls have a short amount of time to figure out, A, is he worthy of max money? B, what can they put around him to make this team a contending winning team or a, a playoff team? And then C, the, 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 the third part of this is that you have to kind of look at this and say, okay, if he is our player who's going to get max money, 
How do we put more around him to get to that next level? How far off are we really? And if not, is he the type of player that maybe isn't worth paying that money right now? And he's someone that you could use to then manipulate and to trade and to get more assets back because he is on a bargain deal. So like I, to me, it's full context because he's not very good defensively. And I think what a lot of people forget, and I know I'm kind of rambling on here, is a lot of people don't realize that the Bulls are really bad defensively. And a part of that is because of their backcourt, which is Kobe White and Zach Levine. And they're eating a lot of the minutes in the backcourt. And you see the plus uh, minus numbers improve so much more when Billy Donovan goes to his bench, goes to the vets. And so you have to kind of ask yourself, how does Zach fit? If you can get some other vets in here, some younger guys who can assist him in winning, how that would look? Because I, I think that's what the full context kind of points to. Yeah. And, in, and when you bring up the max contract stuff with Zach Levine, I mean, when I think about that, I think I'm really on the fence in terms of if the Bulls should give him the max contract. I'm leaning more towards probably a smart idea not to do that. And it seems like with the way you've talked to people about this and express your viewpoints on Twitter, you're not really going to try to convince me otherwise that it would be smart to, to give him that max. Well, you know, here, here's the thing. Um, I, I feel like it's complicated, right? He, But is it really, though? Is well, it... So, so are you are you arguing that it, it's not because he's not worthy of a max deal? Well, for me, this is Zach. So for me, yeah, yeah. I feel like if you don't give Zach Levine the max in Chicago, you're basically saying you want to start over. So if you're starting over, who are we looking forward to going get? And if so, who's going to be out there in the free agency willingly going to come to Chicago as of late? Yeah, no, and, and Zach, that's a great point. And that's why I feel like they're in a tough situation, right? Like, so so let's play this out. Say they Zach plays this way and they don't make the playoffs. W would you guys look negatively at all on Zach for the fact that he had such an incredible year, but he couldn't even get his team to the playoffs? Not at all. I wouldn't. <laughs> okay. And, and so yeah, like, I probably wouldn't. Okay, and then if we roll it forward, say they, they're not a playoff team again next year, and I know that's kind of jumping to a conclusion, like that's when you have to start to question whether or not he's worthy of max money. I think he's going to get max money, and I think the Bulls are going to pay him max money. So I, I don't think that that's going to be in the, in the car, deck of cards. I, I think what we're going to have to figure out is who could fit alongside Zach Levine to kind of propel this to the next level, because I think some of the players who are on the team currently, I don't think that's it, you know? Yeah. It's to me, Zach seems like the quintessential number two guy team. That's like his perfect role. He's, he's the guy who relied to constantly score the basketball. Cause he can, he can really score whenever he can, whenever he wants, but yeah. he, to me is not, he's not the number one guy. Cause with the number one guy, you, you want to have some defense. You want to have that passing ability. And Zach's been getting better at passing, but you, you want the guy who's more balanced all around to be your number one max money superstar kind of guy. And I just, as well as he's been playing this year, I just don't see that in him yet. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally with you. And, and I think like that's where you, you have to see a situation where he needs someone who's alongside him, who's going to give you that defensive side, but also 
who's who's been a winning player. Like, unfortunately, and I know it's not him by himself, but he's never won. Like, guys, if if you look at it, he's never been on a winning Timberwolves. Team. Yep, Timberwolves. You know, he's, he's a seven. He's played seven seasons now, and he's never been on a team that was successful. Um, and I, I think some of that comes into play when we're talking about playoff basketball, talking about you know taking advantage of crunch time situations and really maximizing what they have in 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 the collection of talent that they have. You know, so like I I think that's where some of the conversation gets lost because like a lot of this and Ben, you mentioned like the, the conversation on Twitter, like there are people who are like out there stumping against people saying he's not an all-star who's saying Zach Levine's not an all-star. He yeah, that's ridiculous. Is an all-star. No, that's ridiculous. <laughs> so like, I don't understand the people taking victory laps the last couple of days saying, see, he's an all-star. It's like, what do you, first of all, they haven't announced the teams. And second of all, <laughs> Who, who is suggesting he's not going to make the all-star team this year? That's crazy. Yeah, you're sixth, yeah. You're sixth leading scorer in the NBA. You definitely should be talked about yeah. and mentioned among coaches to be an all-star this year. <laughs> I want, it's interesting because I wonder if some of this comes from Bulls fans just seeing the team trade away Jimmy Butler and a player where I think a lot of people at the time felt like it was a weird move, maybe an unnecessary move. But yeah. maybe there's a little bit of that in the back of their minds. We're like, well, we have another guy who potentially could be a top 20, top 25 type of player in this league. And the Bulls are just going to get rid of him again. Maybe there's that type of feeling going around. Yeah, but I mean, like, listen, uh, I host with Adam Abdallah. And last week we we talked about this at length. The, the point of the conversations about possibly trading Zach Levine had nothing to do with saying that Levine wasn't good. The whole point would be if the, Bull, if the yeah if the Bulls thought that they were in a spot where like say they look at their cards right and say AK and Eversley look at it and they say you know Kobe White he ain't it Lowry Marketing <laughs> you know the only guy we like here is the guy we drafted Patrick Williams like if that were the case you know the Bulls may be farther off from winning than we all kind of think. And at that point, Zach Levine has extreme value. I mean, don't you think Zach Levine would look good on the Pelicans alongside Zion Williamson and, and Ingram? You know, they're, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure the 76ers wouldn't mind having a score scoring Ooh, like that. that you know? them. Ooh, my goodness. So, so like I, I'm the conversation about Zach Levine being traded, I think has been taken out of context because it's not like people are saying he's not good. He's very good. And, and the only reason you would think about trading them would be if you thought you could get maximized uh, assets back in return. That, that's the only that's the only thing. OK, so let's talk a little bit more, Chris, about the Eastern Conference. It's yep. as a whole, you know, it got off to a rocky start. And, you know, you got teams who were in the Eastern Conference, Eastern Conference Finals last year. They're barely even 500, you know, the Celtics <laughs> and the Miami Heat. And so, you know, what do you think these teams need to do to turn their season around for the second half of the season? Yeah, you know, it's it's weird to me. I, I was looking at it this morning because I think Miami is a very fascinating situation. Here's what I was asking myself. Are the Miami Heat good, but they had a tough season? Or are they not as good as we thought they were? And they had this crazy 
run last year in the NBA bubble. And if it was any other end of the season, the Heat would have never made the finals. And they're really not, and they're really not as good as we think they are. And Tyler Hero and Duncan and uh, Robinson are not as good as we thought they were. Or is there a third thing here? Is it that Miami played so deep into the fall, into October in the NBA Finals, that the two months or what, the month and change in between the end of last season and the start of this season just really wasn't enough time for them to kind of regroup and get ready for this season. And then you keep on top of that, all the COVID-19 protocols that they had to deal with. I mean, Jimmy Butler missed what nine games um, because of yeah. COVID-19 testing and having to go through the protocols. Contact tracing. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I, I'm not sure about Miami. I, I would imagine that the, the answer is the first one, is that they just got off to a tough start and they really are much better than their record shows at 13 and 17. But I, I do have a skeptical eye towards them because in any other normal season, you guys know, I don't think we would have seen Miami getting to the finals, but last year was different. It was this bubble year. There was no travel. Everyone was to get, you know, like it was just a weird fluky thing. And so, yeah, I definitely have a skeptical eye towards the Miami Heat, but I assume that they'll kind of turn it around. And like, if we get to the end of the season and Miami is the seventh seed and New York's the 10th seed, that wouldn't surprise me. Now, what do you think about Boston in their situation? I mean, they just blew a lead, a 24-point lead against the Pelicans. What do you think of Brad Stevens and how he's doing in Boston? Well, you know, Brad Stevens talked about it after the game. And, like, the key to their success last year was their defensive ability. And I feel like the one, the one thing with the Celtics is it, it doesn't seem, even though they're what, like, they have the second best defensive output in the Eastern Conference, it, it doesn't seem like they're playing the same intensity that they did last year on defense. And, I mean, I love Jason Tatum and I love Jalen Brown, but – you know, they really need to get Kemba Walker going. And without Kemba playing well, I don't know if that team can beat the likes of uh, Milwaukee or a team like the 76ers or the Nets when we get to the playoffs. I just think it's kind of like a different beast. It just doesn't, they don't seem to have the same vibes that they had last year. We've been uh, talking a lot about the Brad Stevens hot seat. And it, it seems <laughs> wow, like they should really? be. We, yes, we already yes, have, it's, yes. it's, a, it's a tradition every single year it ends up happening but <laughs> it does seem like this year it's growing a little bit more loud in terms of the social media talk and people just yeah. talking about his job now I, he's clearly one of the better coaches in the league so I, I don't think boston is going to fire him but has that been the sense to you where you're hearing people more and more start talking a little bit more brad stevens is he is he able to do this job with the celtics things like that yeah, no, I've, I've definitely seen it. And, you know, over their last 10 games are four and six. So, like, I feel like every loss that happens, you you start to hear more and you start to see more chatter about this online. And, you know, it, it is a little shocking to look at, at it and see that the Bulls right now only sit a game and a half behind the Celtics. Because, like, I feel like we enter the season. A big talent gap. I think there's a big talent gap between. Yeah, right, right, exactly. <laughs> And, you know, even, heck, the, the Knicks are a half game back of the Celtics. And and I would argue there's a big talent gap there, too. I 
for what I think, I, I don't think Brad Stevens is the reason why it doesn't work. You know, maybe Danny Ainge has has tweaked with that roster too much, so much the last couple of years that he's finally hit a spot where the team is no longer on the ascent and it's more like kind of just stuck in the middle. And and they're a good middle of the pack Eastern Conference team, and they're not that team that we thought would be the best team in the conference. All right, so moving over to the West for a quick second. We have the Jazz, who are in the top of the Western Conference right now. They're looking great. They're actually right now losing to the Charlotte Hornets. But regardless of that, <laughs> they have looked phenomenal uh, this season. Their three-point shooting has been insanely fun to watch. Are you a believer in the Jazz, or, or do you still think they're going to come with what they always do in the postseason and kind of fade away? Well, it, it, the defense leads the way for Utah. And, and I know that... A part of like sniffing out teams that are going to go on deep runs before people expect, I think it, a lot of it goes back to the defensive side of it. And and so I like what they've done. I was disappointed in what I saw from them on Friday night against the Clippers. Um, I, I thought that they had an opportunity to kind of make a statement on national TV and kind of prove that, hey, we've been hot, but no matter who the challenger is, we're going to take care of business. And like in the third and fourth quarter, Kawhi and Paul George were like not frazzled at all. And, and the Clippers were the team that played the better defense. And I thought that they like kind of made a statement that like, listen, you may have the best, best record. record. <laughs> yeah, you may have the best record, but for right now, like none of that matters because when we get to the playoffs, we're going to be the best team. I know we can debate who the actual best team in the West is, but I, I thought what we've seen to this point from Utah has been very impressive. And I know like the metrics out there that are, are crazy, not only the defensive side, but the amount of blowouts they've had to this point in the season. Like usually teams who are 24 and six who are blowing out most of their opponents and playing this great defense and they have a point differential of plus 9.2. Like usually teams like that are like NBA finals destined teams. And, and so, like, I am paying attention to them. I'm not 100% locked that they're going to win the West, the Western Conference, but I do think they're they're a very, very good team. Was that a charge on, on Kawhi Sunday night, in your opinion? Uh, oh, no. Thank you. Thank <laughs> goodness. I'm so no, glad you said No, you know why? Because <laughs> I, I agree. Uh, who said it? Was it Van Gundy that said it? The, that James Harden grabbed his arm first. Yes. There you go. So there was contact already made. So so the official, if you really wanted to break it down, the official should have called a foul on Harden. Kawhi goes to the free throw line, and then it negates the, the charge call. And then, okay, what do you think of this idea, Chris? <laughs> hear me out. Because <laughs> Ben was like, I don't know. So I wanna, I, let, me, let me hear your take on this. What do you think if the last two minutes of the game if it's within five points, there should be no fouls called. No fouls. <laughs> All other rules apply, but no fouls. No whistle. If it's within five points under two minutes, it should be just straight up and down basketball. What do you think of that idea? So you're, you're saying it's, it's like the playground, right? Yes. Like, like when it's close in a good game, don't stop to complain that someone hacked you. Just keep playing, right? Play yes. through. Yes. Yeah, I... I would be cool with that. I don't I don't have a problem with that. I feel like NBA Twitter would have a problem with that. 
I don't think NBA Twitter would be able to handle the fact that (laughs) that it's like call the fouls on your honor or, you know, unless you're bleeding, it's not an actual foul. Um, Yeah, I think that'd be awesome to watch, though. Okay, the Brooklyn Nets, they've won, what, six straight and four without KD on their road trip at that. You think this should be the favorites to come out the East, or you think Philly got a true shot? See, that that's a fantastic question because I I have been on this Philly bandwagon now for <laughs> three years, and Joel Embiid is – like, I think right now, if, if you ask me to vote for MVP, I'm voting for Joel Embiid. I think Embiid has been yeah. the best player in the league. I, I would put it between him and, and Damian Lillard at the moment. Um, we just but, but, best friends. <laughs> and and to, answer, to answer your question, I, I think what, what it's going to come down to is can Brooklyn play top-level defense for a seven-game series? We know they can score, but can you convince James Harden and Kyrie Irving to play together defensively to take out and eliminate what the 76ers will be able to do? Now, we both know and we all know that Ben Simmons is not going to shoot from deep, but it will be Ben Simmons – and what they can do offensively with him and Tobias Harris, and whether or not the Nets will be able to slow down and bead, like that to me is a fascinating matchup because you got all this star power. You got a team that hasn't been together for more than seven games. You got a team that was created in a laboratory, right? And in, in using number one picks to create this process. And boom, here it is. Embiid, Simmons, this is what the final product is. I would love to watch that series. I still think Philly is going to be the better team. I like their depth. I love Seth Curry off the bench. But the key for the Nets, absolutely, they'll work in the regular season. They'll win six straight. They'll do all this stuff. But they're giving up 117 points. Mm -hmm. They have to stop someone on defense. I'm not sold that you're going to get buy-in from the two guards, Harden and, and Irving. And so I would lean the 76ers right now. Ooh, I love it. So, okay, we got to talk a little bit more with the Sixers. Tobias Harris and Doc Rivers, talk a little bit about that because it seems like Doc Rivers is the only coach that's gotten the maximum potential out of Tobias Harris in his career. Yeah, no, that and that's, that's an astute point because, you know, Tobias really came – uh, to to a certain level with the Clippers from that short period of time. And remember, that Clippers team was, like, not supposed to be competing, but then they kind of did, and it was like, oh, is Tobias Harris a number one? And it's like, no, he's not a number one, but he's certainly a serviceable number three on a championship-level team. And and I, I love Tobias Harris. I think his game is smooth. I love his pull-up, Jay. I love everything about the way he fits with Embiid and you, you guys know, like, Embiid plots out so much space on the offensive end, right? Like, he's out behind the three-point line. He can work down in the block. But Harris just fits into those little pockets. And I think he just is a perfect fit. And Doc Rivers, you know, I, I talked to uh, Keith Pompey from the Philly Inquirer last week before the Bulls played the 76ers. And I asked him, like, what, what has been the secret about the 76ers being the number one team in the Eastern Conference at this point in the season. And he was like, flat out, it's Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers <laughs> has them playing with a mindset where they are are every single game, they they know exactly what they want to do. 
and they have confidence that their talent can do what they need to do. And that's why this team is as good as it is. And he, and he credited Doc Rivers to all that. And I, I, I think Tobias Harris is fantastic. And like, that's where, that's one of those things where to go full circle with our whole conversation about Zach Levine and the Bulls is like when the Bulls are good, like, do you see Zach Levine being your number one player? Tobias Harris is not the 76ers number one player, but he's like their third. And that's great for them. And like, that's the situation Zach Levine needs to be in. He needs to be in a situation where there's two other guys who can get it done as well to help him out. Absolutely. I could not agree more on that. And right before we let you go, Chris, you mentioned Dame Lillard as your number two MVP candidate. Yeah. And this podcast that is objective. Yeah, it's objectively <laughs> been a pro Dame podcast since we began over a year ago. So we're more than happy to give a second for you to explain why you think Dame is the number two MVP candidate right now. Okay, so so here's how I break it down in my head. I I think I've got three guys at the moment. It's Stephen Curry, Damian Lillard, and Joel Embiid. Uh, a lot of people would hear that say and say, why Embiid and not Jokic? And I'd say, well, right now the Nuggets are the seventh seed in the West. So unfortunately, the way the MVP works, you, you don't win MVPs by being on teams who are the seventh in a conference, right? Yep. So I toss Jokic out of the conversation. Uh, I think Embiid is number one because they're the best team in the East. And I think the stats would then also agree. And what Embiid's doing is incredible. I place Damian Lillard ahead of Stephen Curry because of where they are in the standings. I also think Damian Lillard has done more with less this season because the Trailblazers have had more injury issues and more issues throughout this season. And we know McCollum's out and uh, Nurich has missed time. And so I think Damian Lillard is my number two because they're the fifth seed. I would put Stephen Curry three. His, his statistical numbers are incredible but his team is eighth in the West. So the same logic I have for Embiid over Jokic, I would use for Damian Lillard over Stephen Curry. And the one thing that I would also point out, Kevin Durant's numbers are the best he's had in his career. I don't know if he's going to play enough games to be in the MVP conversation, but what Kevin Durant is doing coming back from the Achilles, I think is incredible. So I would have... Durant on the outside looking in, if he could play enough games, I don't think he's going to because they're going to limit the amount of games he plays and in, in the rehab situation that they're doing there. But that's kind of what I'm looking at. And I know you guys are probably like, Black, you forgot about LeBron James. And my response would be is, yeah, no, I know it's his 18th season. I, I get you. I got you guys. <laughs> what else? You got to give me more than that, though. No, 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 because no. look at the stats. He does not compare to the others when it comes to the stats. So, like, if you if you just want to give him a uh, lifetime achievement award, uh, <laughs> by all means. But I think I think what's crazy is like you guys know how it works. These the hot take shows on TV, you know, first take and the one with Nick Wright on Fox Sports and like. They, they just throw up on the TV the graphic, is LeBron the MVP? But no one actually digs into the numbers to see that, like, yeah, no, he's he's actually not. When you look at who who's the top scorers in the league, like, there are guys having better seasons than LeBron. I'm not trying to hate on LeBron, but, like, 
Like, no, no moments, right? Yeah. Like what was he's 12th in scoring right now? Like, come on. I, I mean, and I, I also feel like that's the same attitude and mindset with Giannis this year is people are sick of Giannis as an MVP. So like, I don't think people are going to vote for Giannis Antetokounmpo this year because yeah. he's won two in a row and there's only three guys who have ever won it three times in a row. And that's what it's Wilt, it's Kareem and it's Larry Bird. So I, I doubt that Giannis <laughs> is going to be in that conversation again this year. Okay, I I'm got just one glad more player. This... <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. I just, I'm just glad this turned into a Dame Willard safe space, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, listen, I think it, my thing with Damian Lillard is this: one, I think it is so cool that a he's open about wanting to stay in Portland and making Portland a winning team. I think that's great. In the day and age where everyone jumps teams and jumps to go play with other guys, Dame wants to do it in Portland, and I respect that. Number two. He was a guy that went to a small school, but he believed in his own talents. And I think that is cool. And I just love watching Damian Lillard play. Yeah, his, his story is is pretty awesome. Um, all right. Yeah, Chris, so you've got a daily radio show. You've got a podcast. You're on Twitter. Where can people find you and, and interact with you? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Black. You can listen to our radio show every night on ESPN 1000 from 6 to 8 p.m. It's Black and Abdallah each and every weeknight on ESPN 1000, and you can download the podcast on the ESPN Chicago app. Just search for the Black and Abdallah tile, and all the podcasts are right there. Perfect. Perfect. Chris Black, ESPN 1000, thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. All right. want to thank Chris for joining us. Always fun to talk to him. We'll, uh, we love talking to people who just love talking NBA basketball, honestly. Just can talk about whatever they want in the NBA. And he's one of those guys who's directly right in with the NBA, covering the Chicago Bulls right here in Chicago. So we want to thank Chris Black, you know, host and producer at ESPN 1000 here in Chicago for jumping on the podcast with us. We definitely appreciate it. All right, let's go online, Zach. What NBA Twitter is talking about this week? What it do, baby? They're talking about a lot of stuff. So let's start with All-Star selections, which happened last week. We know who's going to be the NBA All-Star game starters. Now we know that there's officially going to be a game. There's not going to be any fans. Adam Silver said he doesn't want any parties. The Atlanta mayor said she doesn't want any All-Star parties, which if you don't want those parties, don't have the game. But again, I digress there. (laughs) We know the starters on the West. It'll be Luka. Steph Curry, LeBron, Jokic, Kawhi Leonard. The East, it'll be Kyrie, Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, Giannis, and Joel Embiid. Not really too many surprises. Not too many surprises. However, I'm going to chime in with uh, Luka Doncic and what he had to say in regards to the West and the starters in the West for All-Stars. Now, what did Luka say? I'm pretty sure you heard what Luka said. Luca said he doesn't deserve to be a starter. Do I agree with Luca? Absolutely agree with Luca. Luca Dawkins probably shouldn't be a starter in the in the uh, NBA All Star game. You know who should be a starter? Do you really know who should be points in the painters? Do you know who should be the starter for the point guard position in the NBA All Star game in the Western Conference? His be- name, Damian Lillard. <laughs> oh, see, I was gonna go the Donovan Mitchell route. Ooh, Donnie. Now, I see, just, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be mad at that for Donnie. See, I don't know how the you don't have the top team in the West represented as a starter. That's insane to me. 
That is insane when I think about it. You that gotta, is insane. I, I would love for Dame to be a starter, but listen, Donovan Mitchell, he's leading the top team in, in the Western Conference. He's leading that's the best true. team in the NBA. That's true. That's true. And I can't even deny that. That's so true. And when, you know what? I feel like someone on TV did mention that. I think Charles Barkley may have mentioned that, too. Like, where are the Utah Jazz players being yeah. represented for the starters? Now, I'm not giving it to Rudy Gobert. I'm sorry. I'm taking no. token all day, every day, yesterday. Over Rudy, over Rudy Gobert. So, you know, if you want to do a coin flip, I honestly would say, this is my personal opinion, Ben. I honestly would say Steph Curry and Luka both should come off the bench. And Luka and uh, Damian Lillard and uh, Donnie Mitchell, for sure, should both be starting. I think Donovan Mitchell and Damian Lillard should both start over Luka Doncic and Steph Curry. Why not? They both have done an exceptional job for their teams having them right there in the playoff mix. I mean, right there in the playoff mix. You know, the uh, Denver Nuggets, they started off rough, but the Utah Jazz, we, we've been talking about them for about four weeks straight about not only winning games, but also covering the spread, right? You know, good teams win, great teams cover. And that's what they've done time and time again, the Utah Jazz. So you have to reward them. Now, how many All-Stars would the Utah Jazz end up getting on the All-Star team? How many do you think, Ben, in all honesty? How many do you think? I mean, I, I would say at least two. At two? least Gobert and at least Mitchell. You think so? When you think yeah. about it, you really think both? Now, you got to only really... You really think both of them would get would honestly get an All Star vote, like to get in both of those guys in the West? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. The thing is, and I think you brought up a good point with the Jazz too, and 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 Quinn Snyder, their coach, has said this: where every possession, they do not know who's going to score. They mm -hmm. they have so many options of who to go to and who's going to be open. Just the way the system is is. There are plenty of guys, all five of them have the possibility of scoring. So statistics-wise, it is hard to put Donovan Mitchell and, and Rudy Gobert up against some of these guys. But I think the fact that they have led the Jazz to this good of a winning streak to the top of the West, to how dominant they have looked the first half of the season, you have to put one or two of those guys on the All-Star team. You, you, you have to. Yeah, I think it'll be Donovan Mitchell. I'm not sure if it'll be Rudy Gobert. But I know for sure it'll be Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell definitely deserves to be an all-star. We'll see what happens with Rudy Gobert. We'll see how the coaches feel. But I'll definitely give give a vote to Donovan Mitchell if I had, if I was a coach in the NBA for the for the uh, reserve spots for sure. Hundred percent. All right, more stuff. NBA Twitter talking about Dame Lillard calls out the Timberwolves for not hiring Vanderpool. Did you see that? Did you see that live last night? I didn't see it live. I, I, what, I, how, what was it like seeing that live? So what happened was, and it's the only reason why I even, you know, brought this up, because the my whole thing too, Ben, was like the whole situation with the Timberwolves and the firing and the hiring and how it trans. I was so confused, and I was on the clock, so I'm confused. I don't really know what's going on. It's like, okay, so he got fired, but it's like, he got there was was there an interview or like what happened? It was just it just happened. It overturned so quickly, man. Like they they hired Chris Finch, the assistant coach from the Raptors, to be the new head coach for the Timberwolves. But that happens like right after you know Ryan Sanders gets fired. Have we ever seen a coach get hired and fired that fast? The two coaches like have we ever seen that transpire that way? I feel like I've never seen that. No, it was it was really quick. The turnaround was really really quick. They clearly had 
the guy that they wanted in mind in before that even before that game even happened. They were probably just waiting for another loss to happen so they could look better firing Saunders. And obviously, you know, John Saunders, that's Flip's son, Flip Saunders' son, the late great Flip Saunders, rest in peace to Flip. You know, everybody loved Flip in the Minnesota organization. So to see his son get fired, that was tough. I, I you know, I thought it was tough. Granted, they are seven and twenty-four, the Minnesota Timberwolves, and they haven't been good for quite some time. But in Damian Lillard's case, and what he preached and what he talked about in regards to why they should have hired Vanderpool, everything makes sense. He was on that staff with the CJ McCullum and Damian Litter, who have emerged as one of the best big back one of the best backcourts in the NBA. And he's been around the league for quite some time. And he's had this career in terms of coaching and being a pro player and playing exceptionally well during his time at St. Bonaventure. And so when you have all this take place, it's like you gotta do so much to be a black coach in the NBA. It's not even funny. And so I think. That's what Damian Lillard was really alluding to. It's like, why hasn't this man haven't had his opportunity yet after so long? He's been with countless organizations, the Blazers, you know, over to the Minnesota Timberwolves now and various other organizations. It's like, where is he going to get his flowers and his opportunity to be a head coach in the NBA? Yeah, I, someone like that should definitely get some consideration for a head coaching spot. It's and he's on the he's he's on the team too, right? So Vanderpool, he's on their right. roster. He's on their coaching roster too, their coaching staff with the Minnesota Timberwolves. So th- I have to clarify that too. That's why that was so important, and that's why Lillard made such an emphasis on that too as well. Yeah, you would hope at the very minimum that they interviewed him, talked yeah. to him. But again, you I mean, it was such a quick turnaround. They maybe didn't even interview him at all because they knew who they wanted. And they fired him, and they hired the guy that they wanted right away. They didn't even say, you know what, we're going to interview Vanderpool, see what he has to say, maybe consider him. The way that they went about it makes it seem like they probably did not do that. All right. We have to talk about Brad Stevens again, apparently. (laughs) Giving up a 24-point lead to the New Orleans Pelicans, losing the game. And again, Zach, I am all for people criticizing the Celtics. They are a team that I believe should be so much better than they are right now. They have the talent. They have a guy who who is so close, so close, Zach, to being a superstar in Jason Tatum. He's about as close as anybody right now to being that next superstar type of player. He's not there yet by any means, but he's knocking on the door, and the team just is so inconsistent. And as we saw, they, they can lose focus really easily. They can go on stretches where they just can't score or play defense at the same exact time, and that's how they lose to the New Orleans Pelicans after winning by 24 in the same game. So people really are starting to talk about Brad Stevens and his coaching position with the Celtics. Hey, and that's why I always got to bring it to the light. And I gotta, you have to. I have to. It's only right that I do it. You know it's only right that I do it. And it seems to me at some point Brad Stevens and the Indiana Hoosiers <laughs> are destined <laughs> to be married. <laughs> so <laughs> if, if the Celtics do end up getting rid of him at the end of the season – I think it's a win-win because I get the, the Hoosiers probably go okay. out and they hire him after firing <laughs> Archie Miller. So I'm fine. I'm good. I'm, I'm sitting easy. Oh. Uh, let's see. Anything? Oh, one more last thing for NBA Twitter. James Harden uh, giving, giving away 3,000 meals to Houstonians. And Zach, I know we we love to rag on James Harden on this podcast. So I think it is only fair that we give him his props for stepping up during a tough time in Texas with the winter storms, 
Uh, but everything they do. He had his own restaurant too. I didn't know that. He was his own restaurant. I found that out today. Yeah, he talked about how he was on calls this whole past week trying to figure out ways to help out Houstonians and 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 Texans um, with with blackouts and and trouble with piping and everything that's been going on, no electricity, everything like that. He's, he's been trying to figure it out. He gave out 3000 meals uh, for free to Houstonians as well. So again, you got to give him props when he deserves it. All right. Overreaction time, Zach. Is this overreaction? Zach Levine. First of all, Zach, I got to shout out to Zach Levine because he got a great name. His name is Zach. That's just a great name. (laughs) I I just have to say that, you know, Zach Levine, you have a dope first name and your father's dope too. I saw some videos with you and your father working out. Thought that was dope. Now, should Zach Levine be up for most improved player of the year? Ben. I do want to start this by officially apologizing to Zach Levine because I know I have said (laughs) not glowing reviews about him on this very podcast. I have complained about Zach Levine and this was a long time ago, AKA, you know, about a year ago. Um, I was not his biggest of fans. I didn't really think he brought enough to the bulls to push them over the hump. And he has completely made me do a 180 in the past season uh, since the start of the year in December. He has shown, first of all, he, I respect his loyalty to the Bulls too. He is someone who could easily is good enough to start complaining about the Bulls and the direction that they were going with Jim Boylan um, and everything that was going on and the mess that that team was a year ago and how good he showed he could be. He could have easily said, trade me, get rid of me. I want to get out of the city. I don't want to be a bull anymore. And he did not do that. He stuck with the team he didn't even say anything bad about Jim Boylan at all, who he clearly disliked as a head coach. <laughs> he did. You could see it in his demeanor. You could see it in his face throughout games, especially close tight games too, or just games that the Bulls would blow at the end because they would be in situations where they would have a lead under Jim Boylan and they would blow the lead and he would have this frustration in post-game interviews in his face. You could read, you could read Zach Levine, but you knew he couldn't say the things he probably really truly wanted to say. But Zach Levine is definitely can win uh, most improved player of the year. He can also win. He can also become an all-star. I think this is the year he will become an all-star. I agree. Uh, he's, he's played exceptionally well. The Bulls are right there in the hunt for that play-in game. I think they can actually become an eighth seed if they just can keep playing well and the young guys just continue to grow in terms of Project Pat and him continuing to emerge as one of the young rookies in the NBA. I think Pat I think Pat is also going to be up for all-rookie all, all rookie first team, too. I think he definitely deserves that. But most improved player for Zach Levine this year? I mean, who else can you really give it to? I mean, our main man's MPJ. He got off to a slow start. Then he had COVID. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Michael Porter Jr. So it was tough. We didn't really have him, you know, to really emerge and really become that player we thought he would be. But Zach Levine is playing lights out. I think if they make a playoff push to Chicago Bulls, you got to give Zach Levine most improved player of the year. Yeah, I think Levine being player of the year makes way too much sense uh, at this point. Excuse me. I think Levine being the most improved player of the year makes a lot of sense at this point. And again, apologies to him. He has done everything in his power to make himself better. He's become, as we talked to Steven, uh, we, we talked to Stefan No uh, the other day, last week, about his defense and how good of a defender he has become. See, he's not a great defender. Nope. I don't think he'll ever be a great defender, but he has at least improved his defense uh, over the past season. And and he's just become a really good scorer, a good player. He's he's learned to facilitate when sometimes he doesn't need to score. He's facilitating to his teammates. He has just become, at 25 years old now, 
a much more rounded player. And that is a big reason why the Bulls are winning these games. And he was struggling early on in the season to close out games for the Bulls. He, he missed uh, three or four shots down the stretch of these games, buzzer beaters, in fact, where he would miss and the Bulls would lose. And now he has hit a couple of huge clutch shots over the past month month and a half and he's really starting to coming to his own and I think at this point Zach at 25 we are starting to see Zach Levine finally kind of move into his prime where he is just this huge score and he can score in bunches and it's almost impossible for the defense to stop him when he wants to get to the bucket so it is great to see him do this it is great to see him improve he's hopefully rewarded with an all-star team berth this season and I think he really should be the number one guy to get this most improved player of the award this season now Speaking of buckets and getting a lot of buckets, let's talk stat of the week. All right, what's our stat of the week this week, Zach? Stat of the week being this week is 52 times. And that's because over this past week, we didn't just see one 50-point game. But we saw two 50-point games this past week. One came from big man, big dog, Joel Embiid dropping 50, 50 points. And then the other guy was a young, was a, I won't say a little fella, but a guard holding it down. And that's Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray scored 50 points. But I want to tell you why Jamal Murray's 50 points may have been more impressive than Joel Embiid. Number one, Joel Embiid, a center. So, like, you know, in this day and age with the small ball, at some point, you better score a high 40, get 50, because Jokic did it, <laughs> okay? So you got to match it. You got you to gotta match it, especially with that MVP talk. You got to match whatever Jokic's doing over there out, out in the West. But for Jamal Murray to come out and drop 50 points, but what was so key with Jamal Murray's 50 he had no free throws. Zero, zero. When I saw that at the end of the game with the box score, because I'm like, I wasn't watching that game, but to really see at the end of the game, he only missed four shots, 21 for 25, eight threes, no free throws. I'm going to say it again. No free throws. One more time. No free throws. 50 points, no free throws. That's like dropping 40 with no threes. How do you drop 40 with no threes? That's all just two-point baskets. That's amazing, Ben. And so I got to give credit to when credit's due. He went out there and balled out Jamal Murray with 50 points, 21 to 25 from the field, eight threes, and zero for zero free throws line from the free throw line. That's And people have been waiting. It really is. And people have been waiting for the type of Jamal Murray that we saw in the bubble uh, last season at the Mm -hmm. end of the bubble where he was bringing the Nuggets back down 3-1 in two consecutive series. People are waiting to see that Jamal. You know, the Game 7, two Game 7 Jamal Murrays. Game 6 Jamal Murrays. And people were waiting for that to just become the norm for him this season. And and maybe that was a little too much put on him, and it's hard to be that good that consistently. But to start the season, it was a little bit rough. Uh, past, you know, January was a bit rough, but he's really finally now starting – to, to feel himself a bit more and the nuggets are playing really well. And they've had some tough losses as, as the nuggets will, because there are just some nights where they look like they would rather be anywhere else than playing a basketball game. And that's, that's just what the nuggets are. And that's just how they play. And, and that's the team that they under, under Malone. But when he's on Zach, he is that one, two punch of Murray and Jokic is when they click, it's, it's, it's yeah, when they, 
when they click, it's it's important for that team. When they're both on, they're they're, they're practically un, unbeatable. I know, honestly, if you can get Jokic to go out and get you 20, 24, 25 a game, and then J- Jamal Murray's going to go out there and match that, on top of the collective effort you're going to get from the rest of the roster, the Denver Nuggets are a team that honestly can't be beat when they both play at a high level. Jamal Murray and uh, Nikola Jokic, without question. Yeah. And a pick and roll is disgusting. I don't know how you guard a pick and roll with Jamal Murray and Jokic, but Murray finally really starting to score in bunches. Now, I think the only problem is, right, he has he had 30 against Atlanta, 50 against Cleveland. He had 35 against Washington. Now, that's three games in a row. Out of those three, the Nuggets are one and two. Yikes. So that that's that's an issue. That's an issue where you have Murray scoring in high bunches, but the team is losing. Um, and, and I know they've been hit with injuries and, and the Nuggets will forever be the injury team with how they have been in the past three or four years. So them or Portland, I don't know them yeah. or the Blazers. <laughs> Portland, no, Portland for sure is the number one injury team in the history of the NBA. <laughs> what are you talking about? Tough injuries, but the Nuggets in the past few years have certainly had their own fair, bad stretch of injuries. So they need to figure out how to win with Jamal Murray playing well. They just do because they were winning. They were winning a ton. And Jamal Murray, you know, he scored five points in a game against OKC and, and Denver won by 18. So they they can figure out how to win when he's not playing well. But for some reason, he's scoring a lot. They've won one out of their last four. And Jamal Murray has scored no fewer than 25 points in those four games. So that's mm. something that, that needs to be addressed, I think, for the Nuggets. But that 50 point from Joel with the 17 rebounds and the five, six assists, what an amazing performance. And I want to do add, I want to add this too before we go. This is the first 50 point game we've seen from someone in a Philadelphia 76ers uniform in over 16 years. And you know who that last player was in a Philadelphia 76ers uniform to go out there and drop 50? Ben, tell me who that player was. Was it Allen Iverson? Come on, baby. The one and only the answer, number three. Yeah. AI, AI are the answer. So he was the last one to go out there and drop 50 in 2005. So it's been about 16 years or so since we've seen a 50-point performance from a 76er. So I got to commend Joel Embiid for going out there and dominating the way that he did in his performance. I think that'll do it. That's going to conclude this edition of Points in the Paint podcast we want to thank you for listening as always remember to subscribe rate us review us leave comments wherever you get your podcast you know apple spotify wherever we're everywhere wherever you get your podcast make sure you like the new facebook page on facebook points in the paint podcast follow us on twitter as well at points paint follow myself zach badgerhouse and ben wittenstein on twitter make sure for all your nba news and breaking coverage around the nba Follow Shams on Twitter. Make sure you follow Stadium as well. Listen to Trash and Treasure with Amina and Felder. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review them as well. They have exclusive content and great interviews every week. And you'll hear from us, Zach B. and Ben Wittenstein, next week.